In therapy, radically genuine is reached when one is being truly authentic, communicating freely and openly as equals. The Radically Genuine podcast strives to do just that. We will question areas of mental health, culture, societal norms, and what is truly needed to improve the lives of others. Dr. Roger McFillin is a clinical psychologist and board certified in behavioral and cognitive psychology. He is the executive director of the Center for Integrated Behavioral Health in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. We are still susceptible and vulnerable to mass formation psychosis. We were in one at that time. We still see the vulnerability around day-to-day, like mask wearing, for example, Mm -hmm. virtue signaling, um, how easily we can be manipulated by someone who has a, a benefit to manipulate us and how vulnerable we are to attach to those ideas. I mean, we're still prescribing antidepressants at uh, at rates that have exceeded the year before, right? So I, I just, the pendulum has not swung. Um, there is an awakening, I do believe so. But I think when we look back, I, you know, I look back at my statements two years ago or what I believed in spring of 2020, it held out to be true. Welcome to the Radically Genuine Podcast. I am Dr. Roger McFillin. Those who don't know history are doomed to repeat it. On January 21st, 2022, we published our 22nd, I believe it was our 22nd 22nd. episode. My lucky number. True. (laughs) Titled, Are We in a Mass Formation Psychosis? We have a way of quickly moving on and even forgetting aspects of history. We cannot forget the insanity of how our government and many people around the world responded to the COVID pandemic. I believe this episode was one of our best, an important one, and worthy of a real release. The topic is important to remember as we progress and await the next crisis that world governments will use to usher in their global authoritarian agenda and look to eliminate national sovereignty and personal liberty. The World Economic Forum is very clear about the Great Reset, and COVID was the first attempt at mass manipulation and control mechanisms. It's a great lesson in human vulnerability. For today's episode, instead of just re-releasing the original, we're actually going to stop and include some commentary. Should be fun should be fun because it's also an opportunity for us to look back in history, what our ideas were at that particular time, what we believed and how that impacted both how we felt and more importantly, our actions. This is the value of history. And there'll be a lot of people who have in positions of power, positions of authority, who will try to rewrite history. We cannot allow them to do it. Without further ado. Well, this was following the Joe Rogan podcast with uh, Dr. Malone. Mm -hmm. And this idea, this concept of mass formation psychosis as it relates to how our society is developing post-COVID. Right. And so this spikes a lot of interest for us on this podcast 
given some of our previous topics, especially around extremes in thinking, biases, uh, social fear conditioning, and mm-hmm. the COVID response, as well as you know our strong ideas and beliefs around medical establishment, uh, research, the limitation of information provided to the individual, how important the individual's rights are in being able to determine safety, efficacy, medical decisions, ideas, beliefs. And it's something that's been of great interest to this center here, as well as our podcast. We'll play a little clip here because we see the negative consequences to people when they're not provided full information. Basically, European intellectual inquiry into what the heck happened in Germany in the 20s and 30s. You know, very intelligent, highly educated population, and they went barking mad. Um, and how did that happen? Um, the answer is mass formation psychosis. When you have a society that has become decoupled from each other and has free-floating anxiety and a sense that things don't make sense, we can't understand it. And then their attention gets focused by a leader or a series of events on one small point, just like hypnosis. They literally become hypnotized and can be led anywhere. And one of the aspects of that phenomena is the people that they identify as their leaders, the ones typically that come in and say, you have this pain and I can solve it for you. I and I alone okay, can fix this problem for you. Okay? Then they will lead, they will follow that person. Through, it doesn't matter whether they lie to him or whatever. The data are irrelevant. And furthermore, anybody who questions that narrative is to be immediately attacked. They are the other. <clears throat> this is central to mass formation psychosis. And this is what has happened. We had all those conditions. If you remember back before 2019, everybody was complaining, the world doesn't make sense, blah, blah, blah. Um, and we're all isolated from each other. We're all on our little tools. We're not connected socially anymore, except through social media. Um, And then this thing happened and everybody focused on it. That is how mass formation psychosis happens. And that is what's happened here. All right, I'll stop it there. So um, that basically made people want to investigate this. And I, in preparation, wanted to find some podcasts, listen, and educate myself. I struggled to find something that did a very good job explaining it. Ultimately, I I did stumble upon some stuff. And I'm hoping that this podcast does a really great job breaking down those things that that were discussed on the Joe Rogan podcast in a way that we can all kind of comprehend a little bit further. So I don't know how we want to go about this, but you want to go back? Well, it's fascinating um, because obviously being a psychologist, you have this idea of delusions. And throughout history, this idea of like mass hysteria or mass delusions. So it's not a new concept. It's something that's been in academia for what amounts to probably over a century, you know, at least. And so before this Joe Rogan podcast came out, um, I was doing some research into mass formation psychosis in preparation for a previous podcast that we were going to develop. Mm-hmm. So it was there was information that was readily available at that particular time. And what I mean by that is quick Google searches. Mm-hmm. But after this podcast came out, what you started to see on Twitter and what you started to see on Google was experts dispute the idea that there's such a thing as mass formation psychosis. I did find a lot of that. 
and it became so much more difficult to access the information that I was trying to find before. Mm-hmm. One area that I do go to is, is Google Scholar. Mm-hmm. Google Scholar is a way to kind of get into some of that, you know, academic literature. And then you're, a, you're more able to kind of quickly access information dating back even to the 1940s or to the 1930s. But all of a sudden, that quick, accessible information that people generally get, and I don't know what the percentage of the population is, but most people aren't going past a few Google searches, right? Oh, 100%. Yeah. I mean, it's... Pay- I think this is a, a good... Sp- stopping point for us to jump in because now in retrospect we understand a number of things that occurred during this time including collusion with big tech so we now know through the twitter files that the american government colluded with twitter to censor information we didn't know this when we were recording and i noted how readily available information on mass formation psychosis as an accepted scientific or theoretical concept that's been observed throughout history was now altered after Robert Malone went on Joe Rogan. Mm -hmm. And so I want to stop dancing around this all the time, right? Who is behind it and why, right? Obviously this is very extremely well coordinated with world governments, a couple of years ago, we probably wouldn't venture out and say these type of things out of fear that we or I would be labeled a conspiracy theorist or some quack, and that would actually interfere with the message and that we're trying to communicate, certainly around mental health and the pharmaceutical industry and a number of other things. But it's now we have much more evidence that there is collusion, and we have much more evidence that there has been a coordinated messaging that occurred throughout the COVID pandemic and post-pandemic as if it was a mass conditioning, marketing, propaganda movement on behalf of someone. Who is it? Well, I would assume whoever has the money is the one who's influencing it. So I'm going to have to say the United States government because there was groups of people that had responsibilities in terms of trying to get people vaccinated. Well, I think down the ladder, the United States government did that, but we saw this with world governments across the globe. You know, Australia is probably one of, and New Zealand were some of the ones that were you know most brazen, but most Western societies, most countries. So, I mean, to me, it's clear it's part of the World Economic Forum's agenda. Do we know who is actually really behind that as, as a movement, that's when we start talking about the top 1% of the top 1%, right? You know, the Black, the black Rocks or, uh, you know, those who benefit from crisis, those who pen- benefit from war, those who benefit from pandemics, right? And those who have a very clear identifiable agenda that is published in books, published on their websites, and publicly communicated in mass videos. We've started to enter into this topic area with Dr. Rawl. We talked about the depopulation movement <laughs> and we've talked about how you know other agendas are being pushed that ultimately the consequence of such is to eliminate national sovereignties and create one large global movement, whether you're talking about one global currency 
or vaccine passports or a number of other things that, you know, your individual liberty and rights that are protected by the U.S. Constitution in the name of fear, in the name of some manufactured crisis, could be global warming, could be global pandemic, whatever that may be, is the avenue in order to give up your individual rights. Yeah, that's the one thing that, um, at least with this topic of mass formation psychosis, whenever we've had conversations, and even when we go into it and later on this podcast, it's always been community level, regional, you know, limited by some type of boundary. And this was on a global scale, which then you're, you're applying something that happens small scale now for the entire world, which I, I think is, is when it starts getting a little more complicated to understand how that can be orchestrated. One, maybe page two. Yep. And I'll say this could just be a product of the, the algorithm because it was in the zeitgeist. Lots of news stories were coming out about it. And then, of course, there are people disputing it. So when you looked at that first page, I kept on seeing dates of 2022. And I wasn't looking for 2022 because I knew why those stories would be there. I was looking at historical examples of mass formation uh, psychosis so that I would understand whether or not if it was relevant to what was happening today. Yeah. And it, it, what, what I was amazed at was how quickly it was attacked Look, I'm all about skepticism. I am. I mean, I think it's a good thing when, when new ideas come out, we are skeptical. But this was an overload of skepticism and purposeful. And when you actually then went to search in Google for mass formation psychosis, literally three or four days after the Rogan show, it was propaganda mm. against this idea. It was attacking academics and scholars and anyone that brought this idea up. And that's what I was scared about. Which is scary because it's always like, who is doing this, right? Like, how is it, you know, this well-formed um, and constructed to be able to um, attack those ideas so quickly? It almost, you know, your mind goes to these, what we used to call conspiracy theories, but obviously it's not that much of a conspiracy, conspiracy theory now when we talk about the role of, of either government or big business or and and big tech and how they're aligned with one specific narrative. But let's go let's uh, define psychosis for one. Um a lot of people don't really understand what psychosis is and generally we're talking about uh, a disconnection from reality. That can be a delusion which is a belief or an idea. And that's something that's really important for me to get into in this podcast today is to talk about the the power of ideas, thoughts, beliefs. But also hallucinations are uh, an, another form of psychosis, which is you're hearing things or seeing things that do not exist. So some definitions of mass formation psychosis or another way just to think about it is the idea of collective delusions. Because they fall, have traditionally fallen in this domain of like sociologists working in this kind of subspecialty, as well as like psychiatry, psychology, social psychology. And collective delusions are spontaneous rapid spread of false or exaggerated beliefs within a population at large. And it at least temporarily affects a particular region, a culture, or a country. Um, another way to look at this is mass hysteria. And that's where, you know, the role of intense fear uh, has generated in, in some like response, behavior, or even symptom. And that has no other real cause other than really the development of fear and how it impacts the individual and the group on being disconnected from reality. So when we talk about mass formation psychosis today and we look at beliefs, 
the beliefs cannot are not grounded in any evidence. They may not make any sense at all, but people believe them. And so we can kind of generalize this conversation to many areas about any type of belief or idea that is not grounded in any evidence at all, but people rigidly adhere to it and then it Im- impacts behavior. So let's let's go through yeah, I want to I jump in here and make another point. When it comes to somebody being delusional, in a delusional state, they don't know they're delusional. Mm-hmm. Okay, So that's the difference between somebody who is rational and someone who is sane. I can, might say, I believe something strongly and I accept that it might not be real versus someone who is delusional, like, you know, I can jump off this building and I can fly and then they attempt it because they believe it so strongly. Someone, what makes a delusion dangerous is its potential impact. Right? So if I had this delusional belief that I needed to murder Sean because his ideas are dangerous and they're going to change the pathway of the world, right? we're concerned with those type of ideas because ideas lead to action. Mm-hmm. Right? It is a sense of, of danger, right? Same thing with the, the population movement, depopulation movement. If someone believes that by eliminating 90% of the world population saves the earth and they believe it strongly, they're going to act on that belief. The concern in the general field of psychiatry is, um, you know, what do you determine what's real and what's not real? Especially when you come about things that are predicting the future. Mm-hmm. You know, this idea of global warming and it being influenced by people, right? Like we're destroying the planet versus industries destroying the planet, right? Industry destroying the planet through deforesta- deforestation, what we're doing to the soil and the chemicals and everything else that are put we're placing into the environment. That certainly has a negative impact on our environment, right? Is it leading to mass extermination and the ending of humanity. No, they made a lot of predictions, whether it's in the 60s, in the 90s, in 2000, that by now these things would happen, which never did come to fruition. But you can see how the idea of a warming planet can get misrepresented to control behavior, to create fear under the disguise of uncertainty and that they are the ones who are the authority. You need to trust them. Therefore, you need to do what I say to prevent this horrible outcome. Very similar to the COVID-19 pandemic. This whole process and the the thing that I get out of it and what you just said, people unify, unify around a particular variable. Let's start with the, the how do people, if we're talking about mass formation, um, it's just basically a gathering. It's it's a bunch of people getting to, kind of getting together. So let's talk about a variable that occurred. Go through the process. Um, what happened? Uh, you know, a few years ago that now we're, we're we're claiming that this exists. What was the particular thing that occurred a couple of years ago? Well, I think we're, we're going to start with just talking about a global pandemic, the Correct. spread of a virus, right? And the spread of a virus that's novel and it's relatively unknown is going to you know, at least allow for that, that initial foundation and spread of fear. 
And that free-floating anxiety and uncertainty is going to drive people to respond in a certain way. And one thing that's been interesting throughout this entire pandemic and almost two years now is you get to observe the variability in people's response to fear, how people respond differently, and then how that affects society. Can we break this down further? Because um, I struggled um, as I was listening to some explanations of this, of understanding exactly what was being talked about. So the words like free-floating anxiety, I was like, okay, what what does that mean? Um, What really kind of started this whole idea of applying mass formation psychosis to what we're happening right what is right happening right now uh, uh, and what um, came up on the Joe Rogan podcast came from uh, a professor mm-hmm. of clinical psychology uh, Matthias Desmond Ghent University in Belgium he uh, let's give him some a little bit of a background to who he is He has a degree in psychology, but he also has a master's degree in statistics, which I think is really important to understand. And early on during um, the pandemic, he recognized that the statistic modeling overestimated the mortality of the virus. And he was trying to figure out what was going on. And he, something in his gut was saying like, something's not right. I need to investigate this further. And he was not alone in calling out the flaws of the modeling. Uh, The modeling came from, I believe it's the Imperial College. Uh, in London. And what he recognized was one one of the original forecasts was for 80,000 dead in Sweden if they did not go on a lockdown by the end of May of 2020. And he then, uh, months later, Sweden did not go down in a lockdown and only 6,000 people died. So he saw the flaws in the statistical modeling uh, that overestimated by a factor of 15. And then that's what really threw him into trying to understand why so many people were going along with these tactics based on false statistical modeling. And those statistical modeling, those predictions were so far off, right, that it automatically, you know, lends the question, was this purposeful, right? And let's, let's face it, we can't have this podcast without us beginning to discuss the possibility that this was a well-constructed response to this pandemic for some other purpose or reason. Mm-hmm. And, I, and we can look throughout history to understand why something like this might be happening because in totalitarian governments and um, the, u- the, the development of propaganda and the idea that using anxiety against people, fear against people, to rely upon a leader who can help you, keep you safe, is part of the playbook of any dictatorship or any totalitarian idea when it comes to power and control. And it's really that, that like I said, using fear to get people to gather around one idea, one, mm-hmm. one variable. So let, let's break that down because um, Matthias Desmet, um is a professor. He was actually teaching classes on mass formation, which then kind of led him to that aha moment of like, well, wait a minute, maybe this is a possible explanation as for what's going on right now. He identified four conditions that need to be met in order for mass formation to occur. And, um, and uh, Robert Malone touched on some of those in that clip that we just played. Can we break this down? Yeah, for ex- I, I don't think we introduced Robert Malone to our, our listening audience. For those who don't know, 
Um, he is a physician, mm-hmm. and he was on the research team, one of the inventors of mRNA yep. technology. Yes. Right? Which is, which is being used as the technology for the current COVID-19 vaccine. He's, so also, he, he's also the uh, the president of the International Alliance of Physicians and Scientists, 16,000 plus um, all over the world. Yeah. And um, and right now they're being shut down. They're being censored. They're being, they're being demeaned just for doing what they've been doing for years, just in the last two years. And now they're having their licenses his, stripped. His resume far outweighs any anybody else, even in our government, even Dr. Fauci. <laughs> well, do- it gets crazy. <laughs> well, he's, you see, even Dr. Fauci. Yeah. Dr. Fauci isn't a practicing exactly. physician, right? Yeah. And all he is is a is a longtime government bureaucrat, you know, and yeah. he's more about uh, publicity and propaganda. He's just behind the cameras, right? He doesn't have the level of expertise about a lot of these physicians Correct. who are and researchers who are being silenced right now. So that that's concerning for us. Yeah. So let's go back to those four conditions and let's remove um, the current conversation about what's happening in the pandemic. Let's just look at the four conditions as they've applied to experiences in the past. So the condition number one, which we've already touched upon, is that something occurs or a variable is there and people form around this and gather. That's condition number one. So okay. that's COVID-19? Correct. All right, we're going to well, use let's, that. Let's, let's remove COVID-19. Oh, okay. yeah, yeah, let's go, let's use a different... The, the way that um, Desmond described it is a large amount of people experiencing a lack of social bonds or social connectedness. Right. So we could even say, um, well... Let's look back at the uh, Salem witch trials. You can right? use that as an example. So does there have to be a phenomenon that we don't understand that has to be present? Yes. Okay. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and two, number one and number two, they, these, they're kind of associated with one another. And, and he said that's really important to recognize. A large amount of people experiencing a lack of meaning making. And those are his words, meaning that their mm. purpose in life um, they're questioning is, why is, they're, is they're there. Yes. Yeah. So um, Salem witch trials, the um, the Puritans. Am I right? The Puritans came to the United States. They were had a lifestyle that was being. Um, uh, I'm trying to remember my history class. Uh, there was a lot of uh, British influence coming in, and their way of life was being disrupted. And there was a lot of strange things happening in their community um, that kind of like led down this path. Uh, so there was anxiety about losing their way of life. Yeah, I, th- I think it even gets more complicated than that because if you look back into that time period, there's a lot of death and disease. People mm. die uh, without anybody knowing why. Yeah, and so you begin to attribute it to like demons. So that's the free floating anxiety, yeah. um, anxiety not connected to a mental representation, and. Uh, Desmond, uh, that's Matthias the third said, thing that that's that occurs. For example, if um, if you see a lion and you are scared, you know what you are scared of. Right, right. But free floating anxiety is something that you you don't know, and you yeah, can't control exactly. anxiety if you do not know exactly. What I'm at exists. risk, but I don't know what's going to Correct. you know it's going to harm me. Yes, yeah. And then the fourth condition: lack of free floating frustration and aggression. You feel it inside yourself but you can't direct it at a specific thing or cause. Boy, we love, we love to find the, uh, the reason for why we feel bad, right? And we want to like identify and even punish that person. As I was, um, as I was thinking about, mm-hmm. yes, <laughs> you, you hit a cancel culture. I was thinking about airlines. Think about what happened a year after um, 
these lockdowns happened and people started taking airplane flights again. And they were just freaking the hell out. YouTube videos fighting. of people fighting, hitting people, calling people out for having their masks below yeah. their nose. Yeah. It's misdirected anger because they just saw something they were frustrated with and they, they needed to apply it somewhere. They needed to get it out. Aggression. Yeah. Absolute aggression. I mean, there's the, control there though, right? So, um, we, you know, we touched on this on previous podcasts, how we are just really designed to try to survive, you know, at a very biological, unconscious even uh, you know, way. And so when we feel that anxiety, we look to resolve it. Right? It's almost like our body is saying, there's something, you know, dangerous. You need to watch out. And we do everything we can to try to control it. And so we are at risk of being able to identify a person or a group of people as the enemy who could harm us. And this is what leaders in society and government have done throughout the ages. They've been able to use that tribalism mm -hmm. in order to like create an enemy and lead people up against the enemy in order to protect themselves. And that's the thing that scares me is the bonding of these people who get to this point, the formation of this kind of angry mob and they're no longer skeptical at all about the leaders that are are, are perpetuating this. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. He he said um, like a new solidarity emerges. Yeah, which to me it's uh, you know when you think about Germany um, and how that that happens. Yeah, um, that solidarity it, it it it's almost like this um, this scary term solidarity all, all of a sudden becomes something very scary have you guys ever heard of a book called ordinary men did you yeah of course so um that's the uh, it's about the reserve police battalion um and they were responsible for mass shootings and roundups of jewish uh, people and deportation of nazi death camps in 1942 it basically argues that um these individuals were not fanatical to begin with at all they were just ordinary young individuals they, they were they were middle class yes men yeah of uh many of them who had a very strong moral and re religious foundation and they were and what's also important to know is like, they were drafted so they didn't volunteer right to for these positions where they were going to you know police and then exterminate the the jewish race they were they were just drafted and the, the assertion of the entire um Book, which interviews these individuals is that they um, they did these atrocities through group dynamics and conformity, um, deference to authority, role adaptation, mm. altering moral norms just to justify their actions. Um, so yeah, I, I, example this, of a mass delusion, sure. right? The belief that a, a like social, a racial or ethnic group, you know, is is harmful. To your existence and that's why i don't understand how people as soon as they start questioning oh well that can't exist it's like well just look back in history this has existed forever this is the way that you control a population yeah unfortunately i think we're we're ignorant of history in a lot in a lot of ways or dangerously naive <laughs> i told you i'm changing that narrative I'm, I'm hopelessly naive about a lot of things let's talk about examples of this in the past can we can we jump into a few sure um i, I jotted down a couple i don't know much about them um there are a few that i, I heard and i don't know if they're properly applied to this some of them are, are more economic um in in terms of explanation there was the tulip 
um, craze. I, I don't remember the year. It was probably like around the 1800s where tulips, the trade emerged um, in, the, in Europe. And tulip bulbs became like a commodity that people were, um, were, were trading. And there was almost like this, this surge of people seeing tulips as the new investment vehicle. Uh, and the price of tulip bulbs went through the roof and all of a sudden then they, they collapsed. And it was just like, well, what happened? And, and economists often use, try to explain like what possibly could happen. I think that was more like bubble formation, mm-hmm. but I've heard mass uh, delusions applied to that. The dancing mania came up. What is that? Uh, I'm not entirely sure. And anybody who was interested, Google this and you can read about it. We've touched on the Salem witch trials, but the one that I'm more familiar with, um, someone applied War of the Worlds radio broadcast um, as an example. And, and what I'm recognizing here is that when it comes to mass dilution, sometimes these can be short periods that maybe occur for maybe a week mm. or shorter or over a long period of time which might be harder to break away from. Um, and I think it's those ones that occur over a period of years that you can easily fall into that delusion and it becomes a little more ingrained in you. And maybe there's a, something that happens in your personality where you start to switch even more. Um, you start to believe those things more concretely within you. Um, Want to touch on any of those? You want to? I got another example that's recent. Most people don't know. This is prior to social media. It's 1988, and it was in in Georgia. Mm-hmm. Um, so it involved that. Um, it's this idea that like mass hysteria can can be developed. Uh, 1988 uh, elementary school near uh, Atlanta, Georgia. Uh, it involved the relabeling of like mundane symptoms that were in, uh, instigated and maintained by erroneous beliefs among these hypervigilant parents. So the episode began during a routine social gathering of parents and students at the school cafeteria in early September. A student's mother commented that ever since the term began, her child had experienced numerous minor health problems and looked pale. Other Mothers at the meeting noted similar signs and symptoms in their children since the beginning of the school term. Dark circles under their eyes, they were pale, headaches, fatigue, nausea, and occasional vomiting. They soon suspected that something in the school building was to blame. Uh, A view confirmed on October 11th when the school was evacuated after a minor natural gas leak uh, occurred during a routine maintenance. That gas leak didn't have any impact on anybody. Mm -hmm. Um, and that happens every once in a while, even in your home, it could potentially happen. Um, when the gas leak, uh, you know, occurred, concerned parents picketed the school and appealed to the local media, which then began to highlight their fears. Um, after a negative environmental and, uh, epidemiological studies concluded that there was like nothing going on, um, Mothers had almost exclusively redefined common and ever-present childhood illnesses that occur. Um, While the children in question neither sought attention nor were overly concerned with their symptoms, there was a real high attendance level and parents just attributed that like these normal conditions of sleep or getting a virus or things that normally happen in kids was attributed to that, to that building. So like this mass hysteria mm-hmm. developed and, and some parents were really concerned that their, their kids were really, really ill. Um, send me the link to that. I'll include it in, in the show summary. I think I, I read something about that too. Um, there was something I stumbled upon. And I want to bring it up. It's called the nocebo effect. Nocebo. Okay. You're familiar with this, Roger. I'd never heard of it before. It's basically the 
the opposite of placebo. Um, and th- there was an example that was used to represent this. It was just one individual. A man was involved in a clinical study taking an experimental drug. And what he tried to do was kill himself. He swallowed 29 capsules of the drug, drug believing he would not survive. However, the capsules he was taking were placebos. As he was a member of the control group in the clinical study, believing that he was going to die, he developed serious symptoms and arrived at the hospital with extremely low blood pressure. When finally the doctor directing the medical trial arrived, the doctor told the patient he had swallowed placebos. As a consequence, the man recovered within 15 minutes. So let's not underestimate the power of our brains to do things to us. Yeah, That to me is like, uh, that blew my mind how that can happen. And that, that seems to be what was happening in that example of the, of the school where there's almost like you believe something so intently that you start having these symptoms or you start seeing things that, that may not be Well, there. that's, I mean, coming back to today, that's people are, if they even have um, shortness of breath or they, I don't know, they sneeze once, they, they think they have, you know, it's COVID-19 and they can't leave <laughs> their home. I'm guilty of that. Right. Like, walking mean, through the grocery store with my wife and she starts sneezing or coughing. I'm like, hey, knock it off. I just can't believe that people think, oh, well, that's the only thing that exists now as a as a virus or in our entire world. Yeah. I think we underestimate the power of fear and, mm-hmm. and how it affects us at almost every level, probably levels we don't even know with our with our cells and, and its formation of like defenses. Like fear is really, really powerful. But if we go back to this idea that beliefs have a powerful influence in how we actually um, behave, we have to go back to periods of like Nazi Germany and, uh, you know, fascism in in Italy. There was a psychiatrist at that time. uh, His name was uh, Silvano Arietti. And he said, if he controls your ideas, he will soon control your actions because every action is preceded by an idea, Mm. right? So beliefs are so important. And there are beliefs that exist right now that aren't true, right? That there's no evidence. And we touched on this on a previous podcast, and it's about splitting the groups into the vaccinated and the unvaccinated, Mm -hmm. right? Or using words like, anti-vax and how it's uh now it's kind of transitioned into a uh, a more palpable like version of that vaccine hesitancy right and it's this idea that there's actually a vaccination and i and kelly you know you're really into rhetoric and the the role of of language have we ever really defined what a vaccine is so without i'm going to read a definition that's just on wikipedia but if I had to ask you what a vaccine is, what it has been ingrained in your mind to define it, how would you define it, Sean? You start. Uh, something that uh, a uh, injection you would take to uh, fight off a virus, uh, with the ultimate goal to eradicate it. See, my my definition is it, it's something that eradicates and gets rid of and prevents you from ever getting it. But that would have been that. That's my definition, and that's what I was told. You know, that would have been close to one hundred percent of the population before this, that a vaccine prevents you getting the virus, right? Because it, you develop an immune response to it that doesn't allow you to get sick. I got a question. Yeah. Immunization, vaccine, synonymous? Yeah. 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 Okay. Or inoculation, mm-hmm. right? Those were words that were used concurrently over a century, but right? But we, we know that the, the normal flu 
vaccine that some people choose to get every year. You? I I didn't get it for 15 years, and I got it this year. I'm going to say there is no and such thing as a flu vaccine. Because it, it doesn't, it's not effective. <laughs> it's like 30 or 40%. <laughs> well, he, here we go. He called it the, the flu vaccine. Is it a vaccine if it doesn't <laughs> prevent you from... Um, developing the disease. If you call it a vaccine, it's a vaccine. Right. Well, that's the use of language. Yes, right? Everyone yes. will globally believe it's just the idea. You're not getting vaccinated, means you're not protecting yourself. A vaccine is a biological preparation that provides active acquired immunity to a particular infectious disease. It can typically in, in uh, contains an agent that resembles a disease-causing microorganism and is often made from weakened or killed forms of the microbe, its toxins, or its surface proteins. And what this does is this agent stimulates your body's natural immune reaction to this so it recognizes the next time it's a threat and it destroys it, right? So this idea that a vaccine is implanted in our minds that if you get it, it fights off the condition. Right. So just generally speaking, well, you would be an idiot not to get a vaccine. We have this technology. You have a vaccine. It fights off the virus. And that would be accepting some truths. It would accept that one, it actually does provide that response. And two, there's no adverse effects. There's no negative consequence or potential health response for doing it. Now we get into delusions, right? Now we get into mass delusions. Because we know now as a scientific fact that this vaccine does not prevent. Okay, but let's, let's use me as an example, can we? So I chose to get uh, the shot back in, I think it was May. At the time, what was being communicated? It was that it would, it was, you will not get it and you will not pass it on. 90, that was the message. 95% effective. Were you lied to? You would not catch it. You would not infect others. Your president of the United States was on and demanding not only people get it, but said, you will not pass this he on. He also declared the United States free of COVID in, on July 4th. Yes. So, um, you know, Roger touched on whether or not things were orchestrated or whether or not our government was taken advantage of, I think our government is not as smart as, as you think they are. I, I think the pharmaceutical in industry treated our government like a customer. I think this like is anything, intense. And this was a sales pitch that they sold them on a false no, uh, I, data model showing the effectiveness. And I'm going to disagree with Kelly, you. Does, I'm going to disagree Kelly, with you. Kelly, does this... I hate to keep doing this to Sean, but does this go into the category of dangerously naive? Yes. <laughs> Oh, I knew you were going to stop at that. (laughs) (laughs) In retrospect, right, uh, you claimed complete ignorance, basically of all world governments, including our own. You know, you did use the United States as an example. Uh, How do you think about it now? Um, I still think the influence of the pharmaceutical industry is is very great within our government. Uh, And I think when we restart this, um, you, you probably say something about people in government are not of average intelligence. I don't know if you were trying to say that they are smarter or less than average intelligence because my position was, or the way that I was looking at it, I'm just thinking about the the representatives that work in our legislative branch. And I don't think that there's many, most of them are like ass clowns. So the, the fact that they represent your local community or your state, some of them are, are just idiots. 
And I think they can be easily manipulated by, uh, by lobbyists. And that's the influence that I was thinking about. I think you're more thinking of like the executive branch, higher level government, presidential, and then even some of the things like the CIA. That's, that's where my mind was at. I think pharmaceutical influence is, is, is a big problem in our government. I still feel that way. Yeah, I, I can't disagree with that statement. I think what you're you're missing is I still believe it was a coordinated effort. I believe COVID was a bioweapon. I think it was released for a larger agenda. Too many things were already in place by the time that became prevalent. Even if you see when the Great Reset was published, you know, like that, there was a lot of information in there that was put out right away. And so when I when I talk about influence into our government, no, I, do I think people who are politicians are are of Above average intelligence, yes, I do. Um, you know, even our congressmen and women, I think they're of above average intelligence. Many of them have, you know, a history uh, in the legal system. We're, we're either attorneys. They certainly have graduated college. Uh, many have been beyond college. So I don't want to say that someone who's achieved that position in our society is of average intelligence. What I do believe is there is a certain personality type that is going to be seeking out that level of influence. And I'm concerned about that personality structure, right? That uh, the person who is more prone to desiring attention, desiring control, desiring power are certainly more vulnerable mm-hmm. to being influenced by those who of are of, you know, who are richer. That top 1% of the top 1% and really have um, potentially very evil intentions well that's because if there's money involved then it comes down to getting reelected, and if you can get money to support your campaign and then you can stay in your position of power but this is the first time the presidential candidates are actually talking about how the world economic forum has infiltrated world governments including the united states mm-hmm. so vivek ramasami you know for yep. one you know he's the one who's openly talking about how the world economic forum they infiltrated and Really, those, that's the puppet master who's pulling the strings. And the puppet master that's pulling the strings, obviously we know that Joe Biden isn't um, the one who's making executive branch decisions, right? Yeah, he's got a cabinet and there's tons of people that work in government. So when it comes to writing an agenda, there's, there's no, multiple the, people that are involved and, and they're also influenced by lobbyists. Yeah, no, you're missing multiple, multiple steps. The people who are in the cabinet are also placed there. It is a, an entity, a group of people that are controlling the American government that is, are not elected. They are just They're actors. Appointed. They're actors. Think about politicians as somebody who is bought by someone else for a message that we don't really know or have awareness of those who are running our government. We do not know who they are. We know the people who are placed in cabinet positions. We know who was elected. But as we even mentioned in this podcast later on, that is completely influenced now by money. Okay. Whoever has the most money controls the message, controls the media, and will get elected. It is the illusion of a democracy. It's an absolute illusion of the dem- democracy. So that's where I felt like, you know, you're, you're one level thinking in here when, you know, we've got evidence of five level, five levels deep, right? When you have a coordinated effort between world governments, media, 
and tech that can respond instantaneously to news. Instantaneously and stick on message. They can stay on the message. That is so well coordinated. And you see things coming out now from even local media groups from around the country in major cities. They're... Um, their newscasts all repeating the same exact words verbatim, verbatim, that's, verbatim. That's because they're all regional networks of a larger, you know, ABC, CBS, whatever. It's all one script. It's not like there's uh, there's editors or local and who reporters. Own, and, yes, and, and who owns it's, that? Who owns the media company, right? Yeah. It's all part of that larger system of control. And so when you do not have an independent media, yep. right? You are now- Or local media. You are now in a propaganda state. And so two years ago, you weren't aware we were in a propaganda state. And that's why you made your decisions. You made your decisions based on, quote unquote, the information we knew at the time. The information that you were told at the time was propaganda. It wasn't science. It wasn't real. Yeah, I, I think we get into that in this episode. So, <laughs> And that's where I wanted you to, to expand your thinking on this. But you're playing Monday morning quarterback at this point. No, because we're going back two years. You're going to hear me say the same exact thing. And that's part of the point. Two years later, what I said two years before is more clear right, now. Let's get back in there because I think your timeline is a little wonky. <laughs> yeah, because you're trying to still defend a government entity without actually questioning and being skeptical on whether or not this was intent. Maybe. Yeah, this, I believe it's intentional. Th this is Sean's vulnerability. And oh my God, do the themes just present themselves on every single category. There's a reason why people want I to stay in government for 40, 50, 60 years and they want their family's name in it. Oh, like, that's true. period. So I, I was talking to you guys about the book, The Psychopath Next Door. Correct. Right. And The Psychopath Next Door is an incredible... Um, I'm going to pause. It's called The Sociopath Next Door. It is. Okay. Thank you for the correction. Compilation <laughs> of what makes somebody uh, psychopathic. And... We're not going to get into this is a future podcast, but the belief is about 4% of the population, you know, would meet criteria for psychopathy. That means one person in your practice may be a psychopath. There's probably more than one. <laughs> no, I mean, generally that those people would not but be in like, this kind of sector, yeah. but, but that's one out of 25 people. And so that means there's a lack of consciousness uh, and empathy for our fellow human beings and to, and they and they actually have an advantage in society a psychopath has an advantage in society because they're willing to break rules and do things for power and control that the regular population's conscious would not allow them to do and the idea and the belief is that if one has greater intelligence and is in that kind of psychopathic realm and has a real desire for power and even attention you're going to be filtered into certain careers. And one of them is, is politics. Others are CEOs. We talked about that. Yeah. And those, so this, they would be more prone to, be, to develop into these positions of great power and influence. And where Sean tends to have, a, have, have an issue is he doesn't really understand people well. He assigns positive intention to almost every act. Now, hold on. Hold now, which, on. <laughs> which, makes, which makes him good at certain things, right? He's, especially when, when he's right, right? When the positive intention or act is pure or innocent, 
then Sean is going to get the best out of that individual. On the other end of the extreme or the dialect is when he's wrong. So, okay, I, I may be wrong. I, I can accept that. But I want to flip it on you. I'm going to say everything you're saying is probably accurate. But instead of applying the psychopathy to people in government, I'm going to apply it to someone who may work at, let's use the pharmaceutical industry as an example. And maybe that individual knows how to manipulate and take advantage of a system that's in place um, where we're governed by the people. Um, and someone who may have a, a positive intent or may be easily influenced, who is now in a high-ranking position within our government, um, they're, I think they're really seen as a customer. Because if the pharmaceutical industry is driven by profit, because they're traded on Wall Street, they're not really governed by the same ethical principles that maybe uh, you and I are, and many people in society, uh, they have uh, they have a goal. Of and, and when the government wants to eradicate a problem, and they want to throw billions of dollars to it, and they quickly take action and put out some phase one, phase two trials, and they show 95% efficacy... It's easy for someone in the government to say, well, let's do this. Let's make this happen. We're going to spend billions of dollars to get rid of this problem. Yeah, they're not of average. People in government are not of average intelligence. So there's a couple things that you're, that you're missing here, Sean. And we are not really governed by the people, right? That's kind of an illusion in, in our society. In order to be able to achieve a position of power in, in government, it takes tremendous amount of financial resources. Whoever denies that our, that our politicians are not bought and sold by another entity, something much greater or bigger than them, is naive on that fact, right? You, they, there's a lot of, especially you should know in your, in, in, from marketing background, mm -hmm. they know that, uh, that who the candidate is going to be before any of these primaries. They know it, and it's almost always associated with the amount of dollars because the amount of dollars are going to be then... Uh, going to contribute to the amount of advertising. The amount of advertising to shape our viewpoints is going to lead to a vote. You know, so like even when we do this podcast, we know the number of Twitter followers that I have. There's going to be a percentage of them that are going to listen to the podcast. As the Twitter followers grow, we're going to get more listeners. You know, things like that data is applied to uh, mass communication and ideas. And so you develop an idea of an individual. That person is bought and that person is sold. So that person is vulnerable. Okay. Now, if you look at our own CIA, our own, um, you know, government uh, spy agencies, or those from other powerful nations, how do they influence the behavior of others in other countries? Like, if you're going to be a spy and you're going to go into another country and you're going to try to f flip somebody or whatever that word is, mm -hmm. turn uh, them, turn them, right? Basically, you're going to use fear against them. Correct. Right. Sean, like the things that you go, you're going to find. Yeah. You know, it's interesting as we look back at our earlier podcast, mm -hmm. we get a lot better at articulating certain points. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of cringe sometimes. I'm trying to communicate my, something. My ums are driving me insane. Yeah. <laughs> I think my major point there was that when you think about the psychology behind influence, uh, the provocation of fear is what is used across the board. Fear is powerful. Even to, more so than even physical pain and torture. Mm -hmm. So when, 
for example, well, that's what anxiety is, right? It's the fear of fear. No, anxiety is fear. Panic is the fear of fear. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but when you even consider like torture techniques, right? When they try to break somebody down, people who are militarily trained or people who are really tough or strong, you know, they can withstand and withhold incredible amounts of physical torture and pain. You know what they tend not to be able to tolerate and handle? Uh, like embarrassment and fear of some of your own reputation and something that could happen to your family. Mm-hmm. So that's why... Usually like sexual in nature mm-hmm. or, you know, harming your family, physically harming your family. Right. Um, and that's why when they do train our CIA agents, you know, they pick a certain type of person one who's not necessarily attached to anyone else. They're not in a relationship. They don't have children, things of that nature. However, with, with all that being said, I mean, we're, we're, we're sitting here today. What's local in the news is all of this around uh, Jeffrey Epstein's island. Oh, yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. And some people believe that Jeffrey Epstein was a Mossad agent. Mossad being the um, Israel's... Yeah. Version of intelligence. The CIA. Inte- yeah. Intelligence agency. Mm-hmm. I keep talking about spy agencies. Intelligence <laughs> agency, right? And so what happens is to be able to get a politician on your on your side is you have to um in some way you put them in a position where they could be embarrassed in the future. Yeah, it's a form of blackmail, yeah. right? But they have to put them in compromising positions. Right. And you just, how many are in compromising positions, <laughs> right? And how many are controlled by a fear of what could potentially happen to their reputation, to their lives, to their Assume family? Assume we all have things in our closet <laughs> that you don't want people to know about because part of being human is making mistakes and making mistakes in the past is what shapes you into a better human being. And it's, that's your, your own, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, your shame. Yeah. Shame is a powerful motivator to actually yeah. be a better person. Unless you're a sociopath, then none of that matters. Yeah, that's right? true. And that's why they have some strange evolutionary advantage. But let's go back to like right now, the Joe Biden's son mm. and those tapes, right? None of that mattered leading up to the election, right? In fact, they suppressed Hunter Biden stuff, mm-hmm. right? In fact, they, on Twitter, this is where that got the New York post article was identified as misinformation as russian propaganda now and here's my prediction joe biden will not be running for president Mm -hmm. somewhere around this spring there will be another puppet i mean another candidate that will replace him do you know why i believe that (laughs) because he has the, the puppet that you claim is in place right now has too many things that can be used to manipulate him when they'd rather manipulate somebody else? No. <laughs> First of all, I, I, you know, I'm not sure. These are all, these are all theories. These are all theories. Just the, what are, people are talking but, about. But when the, when the mainstream media starts talking about the Hunter Biden stuff, right, when they didn't before... That's just, to me, it's just a clue. It's just an indication See, that there's going to be a change. I have a, I have a really horrible um, theory about what would happen in the future is Hunter Biden doesn't survive. I think he's got a history of the drug abuse. He's got all these things. It's easier to get rid of him and the problem goes away. 
And people would say he had a, a history of mental illness. He had drug use problems. It's That was my thing. Like, boy, if anybody were ever to do something, it would be accepted as, well, this was almost written in advance. Yeah, here's my prediction. It's a is, horrible, horrible theory, though. <laughs> and, you know, we can have fun with this on, on a podcast because our minds are going off to, like, we're trying to make sense of things that have happened, right? Yeah. This is free-floating anxiety, mm-hmm. right? Because so much of what we believe to be true turns out not to be true. And we have to accept it. We have to look back and learn from history or we're doomed to repeat it. My belief is Gavin Newsom is going to be the Democratic nominee. Probably. And so here we are saying this, and on January 5th is the day we're recording. Happy birthday, Alexa. Happy birthday. (laughs) Um, And so let's just see if that that plays out, right? And the only reason I'm saying is you're... It's deductive reasoning. And that was some of the difference that existed between me and you a couple of years ago is I use deductive reasoning. Yeah, maybe we could touch on that because I think there might be a point in this uh, episode where I think we could kind of touch on that even more so. Yeah, and whenever something stands out yeah. as atypical, you want to ask yourself lots of questions. That's critical thinking. There you go. I do believe a healthy person has a good dose of skepticism, mm-hmm. critical thinking, and self-experimentation. Something in their background, yeah. something that they did, something that they want no one to know about, yes. and you're going to use that against them. Yeah, yeah. And, and it works all, all the time. All they, all for you, Sean. All you have to do is threaten your wife and your and your kid, right? Probably, right. That that fear would would drive you to do anything to protect them. Yeah, right. But if you're a sociopath, you don't even care about your own children, right. Or your own your own wife. Like that lack of any emotion towards them mm. is something that is so uniquely distinct to a percentage of our of our population now a lot of people might listen to this and think we're crazy these are scientific and historical facts mm-hmm. and these are things that go outside of our awareness and and our control and unfortunately this is what is going to be used against the mass population i think we all consider ourselves here part of the masses right we don't have great power we don't have great control a lot of us come from blue collar working families we're not wealthy, but we're, we care, right? And we're going to get on a microphone and we're going to talk about how people can be influenced. And that's part of it. Okay. So I want to turn this on you because let's go back to mass formation psychosis. Um, the idea of, of getting out of it. Um, Matthias Desmond said that, and, and you're using this idea, this communication of uh, totalitarianism. Um, he said... That idea right now is being is being discussed. It's being thrown out there, and that should be scary because global totalitarianism um, is a bigger threat than the virus. But he cautions anyone to go down that path because this can be an easily substituted free floating anxiety, which can be replaced by another person to jump in and say that they're going to solve this problem, which then in turn can lead us down the path of an even greater mass psychosis. psychosis. Um, and I want to go back to what Robert Malone said on the Joe Rogan podcast because he offered a solution. And remember, this is a man who's censored. He's being shut down. He's being quieted and discredited. And I'm going to quote him directly. He said, we are sick. Our society is broken. We have to heal ourselves. We have to come together We have to recreate our social bonds. 
We have to buy into integrity, the importance of human dignity, and the importance of community. End quote. Do those sound like the words of someone who needs to be censored and shut down? Not at all. Absolutely not. It's the social bond that many people have that keeps them together on a narrative. Yeah. I think that, you know, listening to him, he's very concerned about the wrong narrative being out there right now. Yeah. And that people are gathering and that's where it comes from. I can't, I mean, Google's actions in the days after that um, mass formation psychosis was mentioned on the Rogan show, tech, big tech, in my opinion, should be ashamed of themselves because I believe personally that I could imagine people working there being told through those massive meetings that they, you know, they go to every year and that they're the saviors. They're the ones who are going to correct everything. Just keep doing this. So I believe that people that are working there believe that what they're doing is absolutely 100% correct and is going to solve the world's problems. When in reality, it's, it's really just diminishing anyone that's skeptical. It's diminishing anybody questioning, which that's what scares me the most is people are not questioning what's happening anymore. The critical thinking. The critical thinking. Yeah. So, I mean, I was reading up on this because psychologists and psychiatrists who have kind of done some research this on past generations where we've where we've seen these atrocities committed by quote unquote ordinary men, they're they do adopt a belief that what they're doing is for the betterment of society. So this is going back to the other side where Sean's Sean has some validity. Not everyone's a sociopath who adopts these ideas. So there is positive intent attributed to this. So like it. It's possible that a, 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 an Anthony Fauci attributes like, positive intention to all his statements and the public health recommendations that he actually believes this is for the best betterment of society. Since then, <laughs> uh, Robert Kennedy Jr. came out with a book called The Real, Real Anthony Fauci. Uh-huh. I encourage everyone to read that book and to understand some of his own background and history around ACT and the way he cultivated a, a, a reaction, a response to the AIDS crisis to push a pharmaceutical and who it was tested on when they knew it was going to create harm. So um, I'm pretty certain Anthony Fauci is a sociopath. Mm. Now, part of our job today is to argue why it's not. Uh, why why splitting people into two groups, the vaccinated versus the unvaccinated, it harms society. Let's talk about one delusion, right? And I can't believe that people still believe this and repeat this, that the um, we need to protect the vaccinated from the unvaccinated. Yeah. How does that make any sense? That's, that's no longer true. It was never true. Oh. Yeah, I got to get you there. But at the time, and so this is what, this is... When we talk about what's being uh, communicated to the public, when I made that decision, and and we'll go into it, the information that was provided was not accurate. It was what they should have called was a theory, not a fact. Yeah. I mean, the problem here, Sean, is that a lot of people knew that. Who? Me. Well, (laughs) and... Um, you know, most anyone. Remember, this is this was recorded um, January of 2022. So this was nearly almost like a year after the first um, vaccine came out. When they when the when the trial when the actual uh, well COVID vaccine was first made public. Do you think you were under a mass formation psychosis? Do you think you were 
part of a mass delusion? Um, well, the idea of delusion means that I was believing something that wasn't true. Yes. So I would say, yes, I took action on something that was not accurate. So let's just break this down. I was lied to, though. That's you, the way I... You were lied to. I was lied and to. You, and you blindly trusted. Not, some, not blindly. You know, the information that was available that anybody could read was saying one thing. No, the mainstream, the mainstream media, the large-scale mass propaganda was available, but there was plenty of information that goes beyond mass propaganda. But I want to just break it down again because this is what you missed. Protect the vaccinated from the unvaccinated. No, I, I got that. How does that... I didn't miss that. How does that make sense? Because you said it's no longer true. It's no longer true. Because they, as if, they sold it as if the, the vaccine... Um, which I know you don't like to use that word, as if the jab was going to prevent spreading of disease. So, you again, I think you're still missing it. If someone is vaccinated, so they are already protected, why would we have to protect them against the unvaccinated? Yeah, but that language didn't come out until when? The fall of 21? They were using it to get people to get vaccinated. They were evolving their message to scare people to get a second you, jab. You, you're still not answering my point. If there's a vaccination and someone gets vaccinated, so they're already protected, which was what we were told, mm -hmm. why would they need to be protected from the unvaccinated? No. Yeah, it's... Uh do you understand? Yeah. And those are the little things that a lot of people said, wait, that's irrational. That's un that's nonsensical. This makes no sense. If somebody chooses not to get a vaccination, they harm themselves. They yeah. harm them. But in the spring of 2020, spring of 21, it was this will protect you and you won't spread it to anybody else. That's how it was sold. It wasn't about protecting yourself from the unvaccinated. No, those were the messages. Not in the spring of 21. Yeah, no, no, I am going to disagree with you on that. I think that was the message that evolved into the fall of 21. That's when that language started coming. Okay, I just out. want to remind all our listeners that this is a public conversation. <laughs> yes. Okay. And, uh, and Sean forgets the, uh, he forgets the election of, of 2020. So our election of 2020 was in November of 2020, right? Yeah, there was not any vaccine at that time. It didn't exist. The fall of 2020 is when people started getting vaccinated, right? No. It was the spring of 21. I think that's when you were available to get it. Yeah, I think I pulled up something. Um, the, the trial began July 27th of 2020. Completed enrollment of 46,000 participants in January of 21. Uh, but, but, but on December 20th, hold on. Shortly after December, the a mere 13 months after trial initiation, the vaccine became FDA-approved COVID-19 vaccine on August 23rd of 2021. So that's when it, it I think I got the shot prior to uh, full FDA approval. Okay. And 
my problem was is they were they were doing forced vaccinations. Okay. Yeah. Yep. They were mandating vaccinations in businesses. They were saying if you need to if you want to keep your job, you have to get vaccinated. Or if you're going to go to this restaurant, you need proof of vaccination. Right? Major cities. Mm-hmm. So that is forced medical intervention, which I believe to be unconstitutional. What they were saying is the reason for that is because you were threatening the health of others, which made no sense. If the vaccination protected you from the disease, why would an unvaccinated person have any influence on you at all? They would only be risking themselves or someone else who's not vaccinated, right? It was the unvaccinated were risking their own lives, according to them. Mm -hmm. But everyone who got vaccinated would be protected. You wouldn't care. Yeah. So this was where they were creating the divide. But then after everybody got vaccinated and they started getting sick, then there was like no hiding that anymore. They were like, "Uh, okay, the vaccine's efficacy is waning. (laughs) So the language started shifting. Anyway. Yeah, but but they continued to lie directly to get people to take their product mm-hmm. for whatever reason. For whatever okay, reason. For whatever reason to create a divide. So everyone who did not get it was an anti-vaxxer. Yeah. Which my point at the time was, it's not a vaccination. If it doesn't stop you from getting COVID and doesn't stop you from spreading it, it's not a vaccination. That does not make me an anti-vaxxer. That makes me a critical thinker. Yeah. And I think we, we get into it in this discussion. So should we jump back into the podcast episode or you have something else you want to add? The greater question at large is why so many people did and continue to fall for that same idea that somehow unvaccinated people put vaccinated people at risk. That still goes on today. Really? Really. And it is going to be, and it is the reason why people get forced to have to get a flu vaccine in certain industries. Mm. Even though we know the flu vaccine doesn't have efficacy, therefore we should not call it a vaccine. They're still using the same language in order to mandate a flu vaccine. It's happening obviously with my daughter. Oh yeah. So we're going through that. So I just want people to be aware of how easily we can be mass manipulated into believing something that is absolutely nonsensical. We even caught Sean on this podcast by saying, well, that's no longer true (laughs) as as if it was ever, as if it was ever true in the first place. That's how he became, that's how he was conditioned. But, but science evolves and there's new learning that comes out. Like how many planets are in our solar system? That's not science. How many planets are protecting the vaccinated from the unvaccinated? That's another mess. But, but, that's, that's, but that message that, didn't come out until no, it, it was it, from the beginning. I, I want to, I'm going to do some research. I'm, I'm going to find, I'm going to find, find the first use of that language. I'm going to find somebody who says we need to protect, find it, the unvax, the vaccinated from the unvaccinated as a way of manipulating people to get a vaccine when it was being rolled out, when it was being rolled out. So it's going to be at the same time. It's going to be concurrently because it was part of the propaganda. It was using social psychology research to influence people. Okay. Okay. Go. Yeah, but (laughs) (laughs) no longer like it was true at some point. uh, Yeah. I'm going back to what's been communicated along the way 
there was a belief and that belief was misguided. It was misled. It was based on inaccurate data. Now there's more data and coming there's out. There's no such have, thing as inaccurate data. Do you data. have our leaders? Well, sure there is. Do you there's have no our leaders? inaccurate data. Well, th- let's go data back. Data is data. Let's go back. How you, how you take that information and you spin it for a purpose is what becomes inaccurate. Let's, let's go back to your, your big... Um, uh, what? <laughs> That's a really important piece. What's that? Right. That, that a number is just a number. There, there's no such thing as inaccurate numbers, right? Mm-hmm. There's only human error. There's only human miscalculation. Well, I think the other thing we've learned is that you can present data in a way that seems very compelling. You skew it. And you, when they're showing percentages, if you don't have the data behind those numbers to understand what those percentages mean, it's very, very misleading. So like when they talk about the flu vaccine is 30 to 40% effective, that's... No one knows what that means. No, and, and when you look at it, it's like you're, you're going to prevent an illness... For every 70 people that take a flu shot, one of them won't get ill. Like that's, to me, is just, that's very manipulative in the way that the data is being presented. Yeah. So my, so my point there was data isn't, isn't inaccurate. Data is data. Interpretation and representation of the data. How it's used to confuse, how it's used to manipulate, that's human beings. Yeah. So what I do now, whenever somebody presents the percentages, show me the numbers, when somebody presents the numbers, show me the percentages. Like you want to be looking at both sides to understand completely. Sure. We've had, we had the discussion about the vaccines already. And you said like, there's a clinical trial process. It wasn't followed. So, but not everyone listens to our previous podcast. So we, we, we repeat it. Yes, we do. We do. But we don't have access to the trial data. No. Do you know why we don't have access to the trial data? Because the full trial data doesn't exist. That's why it's not printed on any of those inserts. Wrong. The trial data does exist. The individual data exists. The pharmaceutical companies do not have to release it. For like, what is it, 75 years? No, well, that's being, that's being tested in court. They're going to, the, the courts so far are basically saying, we are going to allow the release of this sooner rather than later. So far, because, so far. Because it's, uh, it, by our own government, was identified as trade secrets, right? That the pharmaceutical companies do not have to release their individual trial data. So any information that you get, which my goodness, 95% efficacy, all these things yeah. were, were not accurate and they knew it, right? So it goes back to previous discussions about trials. You just, if you make them short term and you control the people that are in it, then you can control the data that that's gathered from it. I want to jump in here because I think a lot of people have a hard time understanding the idea that you could get a vac, what's marketed as a vaccination, and it could actually increase your susceptibility to getting sick, both now and in the future. And that's where people are conditioned by language. Mm -hmm. Because if you're told something is an antidepressant, or you're told something is a vaccination, it conjures up an idea, gives you a false idea about what that medical intervention does. When the truth of the matter is, whenever you introduce something into the body that is a medical technology, a compound, a chemical compound, something made in a factory, you are altering the way that your body has naturally evolved and adapted over the course of the entire human history. So it is an experimentation just because somebody calls it a vaccination doesn't make it a vaccination, especially when you are 
using a completely new technology, which was the mRNA technology. It wasn't a traditional vaccination like we would use for polio or measles, mumps, and rubella. It was a gene therapy. It was completely new. The risk was so much higher, so much greater. And smart, educated people would look at me, it's just a vaccine. You've been getting vaccines since you were a kid. No, it's not. It's nowhere near the same thing. And that is what completely made me lose my mind (laughs) during that time period. Mm -hmm. Is because otherwise, reasonable and educated people were completely, completely hypnotized, including almost everyone in my center. And... Listen, correlation isn't causation. I I understand that. But boy, are people getting sick all the time in manners in which just never existed previously. And is it possible that it did something to our immune systems? Sure it is. There is data that those who got the mRNA vaccine increased their susceptibility to getting the illness. You're a great example of it. You got it hard. Really, really bad. COVID. COVID. After the vaccination. Yeah, this this episode, right, right this, after this. This original episode was me just coming out of it. Yeah. And I and I keep going back to the fact that we are as close genetically as anyone else, right? Yeah. We're extremely, extremely similar. But you got COVID very early. Uh you you got COVID in December of 2020. 2020. I got the original virus. The original virus. Which was supposed to be the one. And I never got sick until December of 2020. One year later, right? One year later. But I got the original strain, which yep. is the one that's the most virile, right? That harms the most, the most dangerous. And I didn't even know I had it. Other, you know, I'm sure your family would say otherwise. <laughs> no. Remember, I, I, we were testing at that time. So in, in December of, of 2020. 2020. We were testing, you had to test yourself because then you needed to quarantine and all those type of things. Remember? Okay. I don't have to go back. So okay. um, I, what happened was I got those, those aches, like, you know, body aches. So I thought I had, I thought Wait, I no, had, I'm sorry. You got sick December 19. You got, uh, no, it's 2020. Are you sure? Okay. Yeah, positive. Right. Right. Um, so I, I, I tested, I got it and <clears throat> I didn't feel bad. I just felt run down. Right. And it, and Moved on and, you know, I was fine. I actually didn't miss any work because I got it over like a holiday, you know. Um, it was like between Christmas and New Year's. So I remember I never went out no, I remember. Yep. For, for New Year's or anything like that. You went and got the quote-unquote vaccination and, and it hit you so bad. Yeah, it went all to my head, nothing below my neck. Like I didn't have any cough. I didn't have any chest, anything. I just had really, really bad. But the point being, tinnitus or the, whatever. the tinnitus. point being is this, is it is possible that your choice to get the vaccination maybe made that occur. Maybe. Right. And what we saw around here is people were just constantly getting sick. Those who got the vaccination constantly getting sick where I knew of the select few that never did get the vaccination. But then after people got sick, are they repeatedly getting sick with COVID? I think it depends if you test for it or not. But people, <laughs> you know, re- no. But I, but if you're sick, you're sick. You feel sick. You feel you've got a fever. I mean, you're. We, I mean, you could you could test all year long, and you'd probably yeah. We come don't up. know what it is. What we're saying. What does it do to the immune system? 
because you're introducing something that is not natural, that is new. Mm -hmm. What does it do to your immune system that could increase susceptibility to disease? And that's why you see those spike in numbers of young and healthy people mm -hmm. developing either myocarditis, blood clots. Yeah, there's there's... And, and there's that, some correlations in terms of when you get the vaccine uh, uh, and when you get sick. If it's within like a period of time, there's uh, a higher risk for things going. We on. don't know that. No, that is no, no cor what, I correlation. No, I'm saying we do know that. Yeah. But if you don't study it long term, you don't know how long that lasts. Yeah, for, but that now, now you can't even study whether or not it was a vaccination or if it was just natural exposure because there's no control group. There's no. There's nothing that. Yeah, been but done. you can look at epidemiological data. So when something happens, so when, when something is fairly consistent in a population mm -hmm. for extended periods of time, and then the only thing that changes is a mass introduction into one technology, mm -hmm. one intervention, and then it explodes in ways that are st statistically abnormal, you, you know, it, you'd be ridiculous to not trace it back. Now, other, this stuff is published. This stuff is out there. It's clear science. It's not going to be fed to you by the mass media. We know that. But all this is already clearly identified. Those who got one vaccine increased the risk this much. If you got the booster, if you got two, if you got three. These things are, are clearly in published literature. And know what we have to do? We have to listen to Travis Kelsey on, <laughs> on American television saying two things at once. Yeah. You know, get two shots at once. And luckily, by the data, statistics, um, not many people are doing it, Yeah, which gives me some hope. I think it was 8% it, is what I saw. Which gives me some hope mm -hmm. that there is a collective awakening. Okay. That, that leads into something else we talked to later in this discussion. So let's jump in. God, I hate take, talking about freaking COVID. <laughs> but really good statisticians and those who understand methodology when it comes to, to research, they're the ones that are out are right now being able, are, are contributing to the discussion by talking about how poor methodology and, and uh, taking statistics and spinning it to, for the purpose of selling your product is easily done. And the 95% that you're talking about was actually not the true number. You have to listen. I, I can't really get into the specifics, but I would encourage people to research. There were several different types of numbers that come out of these studies. And the 95% was decided that was going to be used, but that was not the true efficacy of the vaccine to begin with. We were lied to immediately by who? Our government, our people that were up there telling us to take it. Now, again, I go back to something you said in an earlier podcast. Remember when we were talking about, because um, you had been in LA yeah. um, and the masking and all that. And mm -hmm. you had said that, well, I, I looked at it more like I was doing something for a community. Mm -hmm. um, that That's why it was a symbol. You said, I believe, and I'm going to go back, no, that you right. said it was a symbol of community, of collab, uh, being a, a good citizen and helping people. No, I, I, I think, think I said it was, it was a reminder to people to be mindful. Okay. Yeah. It was a reminder of people yeah. to be mindful. What do we now know about masks and cloth masks? The not CDC effective. said they're not a factor and, and, and now they're wrong. And now they're going to start pushing yeah. N95, but the mask itself is a symbol. We have been lied to for two years. And by the way, an emergency, a state of emergency, in what world does a state of emergency last for several years? Mm -hmm. For several years, I do not trust 
our government can, entity. Can I right play now. the clip? Um, Matthias Desmond talking about before the, you get there p- the percentages. All right, because yeah. we're we're almost laying a like a framework here for you know the idea of passive conformity. Yeah, and how passive conformity uh, has historically and currently will harm individuals and groups. And Sean, I love you, <laughs> but my my con- You're a my good con- dad. <laughs> Say it again. (laughs) (laughs) My my concern is not only you, but other members of my family is the the passive conformity. And passive conformity is this. I mean, it's just really, this has nothing to, I just trust what the authority tells me. The authority is truth. I conform. I'm part of the group. I don't have any personal responsibility. I don't believe that. I believe in a free society, we all have personal responsibility to be able to maintain the structure. And the structure, you know, what it does exist is that we have to be able to challenge the authority figures. Mm-hmm. And I was always a believer and still am a believer of the scientific process because the scientific process allows for open discussion and debate. And it's the use of empirical data and information to try to make sense of that. Agree. So can I tell a little story? Go for it. All right. And this is important because you just, you're recovering from COVID, mm-hmm. right? And you were, you know, vax boosted and, and, and bubble taped. <laughs> <laughs> let's, but, let's, let's be specific. Right. I, I got, I did the two shots. I was never boosted. Um, I tried bubble tape. I couldn't breathe. <laughs> <laughs> you you got COVID worse than anyone in our family. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't. I did not expect that to happen. You, you no, were, but you the, were, part, the part where he says I wasn't boosted, you're going to have people that are saying, see, he wasn't boosted, therefore. Yeah, like, he, that's where we're at. Prob- it was touch probably. and go for a while as he was, uh, you know, asking to go to the emergency room. Yeah. So I'll, I'll, I'll give you the timeline. All right. Christmas Eve, Christmas Day, uh, we all got together. And, um, and, and many of us, uh, got ill. So I didn't, you didn't, but you I'm already had it. You, you, so this, this will, this will probably tie into something else we could potentially talk about, but, um, natural immunity <laughs> versus, versus the quote unquote vaccination, yeah. so which there is was, still not being discussed. <laughs> I'm going to say I'm there was spread, like, I'm spreading misinformation. Six, this is going to be, oh, there's be like flagged. six to eight people that got sick. Okay. Yes. So I woke up Monday morning. I think I spoke to you on the phone. You could hear it in my voice. I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm coming down with something. But um, I, finally, this was kind of the way that I was approaching it. Like, oh, this needed to happen. Um, this is probably for the best. guess you didn't have much confidence in your vaccination if this just needed to happen. Um, no, I, and I, I, I would say that's, that's going to probably tie into, I want to play this, this clip afterwards. And, and I, I think this is important for everybody to, to recognize. You received the vaccine, which was supposed to prevent those kind of severe symptoms. Sean's a healthy guy. He's, right. You know, and you, no one can see him here, but he's, you know, thin. He's thin. He's, his diet is impeccable for the most I, I part. I probably lost like eight pounds over the course of those yeah. days too. You got hit hard. Yeah. Right. Call me by surprise. And I think, and we're going to get into, obviously Sean's going to play something about really how to protect us from this. We have an entire podcast on how do you protect yourself from extremes and thinking. And you know, we're very careful not to swing to the other side of the dialect here at on our podcast. We actually, I think, were proponents, especially at that one time, if there's data suggesting that this can, you know, provide some, you know, positive impact by development of antibodies to people who are maybe the elderly or who are, you mm-hmm. know, have comorbidities and are really in that risk range, then go ahead and do it because in a risk analysis, you know, the the benefit 
the potential benefit can outweigh any risks. So I tweeted this out, and this is part of the delusion that exists right now. Medical interventions developed to help us can, can also harm us. They can help some while hurting others, even many. Individualized medicine recognizes this. If your medical professional is not acknowledging this and discussing this with you, be concerned. So the idea that there should be mass vaccinations for the entire population is antithetical to everything we know about medical interventions and human development and biology. The one solution thing always bothered me. Yeah, Like, I don't understand that at all. We're one of the most, not only inventive and... Uh, our science is amazing here, and yet there's only one solution to this. And and one of the things that I questioned immediately was, well, if we have that many people getting COVID, why aren't we creating therapeutics that people can do at home? And why are we not? Why are we not putting on our, our using our media for the purposes of telling people that they need to get outside, they need to run or walk, they need exercise, they need vitamin D, they need sunshine. Instead, what do I still see? Yesterday watching the playoffs, um, you know, I see New Jersey Department of Health and Pennsylvania and Pennsylvania yeah, Department of Health paid by taxpayer dollars showing children with smiles on their faces. They're all actors and actresses and they're, and they're saying to children, they're marketing it to children specifically. Yes, they are. I was so pissed. Yep. I was so pissed. I'm like, that is un. If you want to but, talk about but, mass formation psychosis, you're seeing it in real time. I'm so glad you brought this up um, because I was really angry watching this last night, and it was the language and the dialogue. The kids, I am, I am going to protect yeah. my parents and grandparents. Yeah, right. That is delusional. They do not protect from spreading the virus yes. to parents or grandparents, and this delusion is impacting the mental health of our young people. Can I do a quick story? Okay. Stories are good. <laughs> yeah. So I'm going to try to protect the privacy and confidentiality. I'll speak generally because it's not just one person, but this one happened recently. Uh, I, an, an individual that I'm working with was both underweight, anorexia with severe depression. And so it's, you know, that comorbidity, you know, that there's an eating disorder and there's depressed mood. And it's really important, in my opinion, that when you're working with somebody who is compromised physically and also has depressed mood and suicidal thinking, that there's a form of treatment that can be targeting both concurrently. And it's really important for us that somebody who is underweight and can understand the impact on, on mood and thought processes is, is building a plan to be able to gain that weight through adequate nutrition and that we're monitoring it through frequent weigh-ins and then for a depressed person the uh, the more that they're socially isolated from from people is directly correlated with increase in depressive symptoms and an increase in a risk of suicide attempts a person that i was working with got really sick for a period of time um my guess is they probably had covid even though they did one of the antigen tests and it came back negative we know that those uh there's a lot of problems with their accuracy so the person got really sick kind of got laid up for a while after the person recovered got exposed to somebody with covid and this person tested and this time they came up positive my guess is that um it wasn't from the exposure to the person who had COVID. They were recovering from COVID the first time. This person developed no symptoms, okay? But 
began a 10-day isolation period with no symptoms, which was against my medical, against my recommendations due to the increased risk of, of suicide, low weight, uh, and of course, the severity of depressed mood. Mm. Um, this person tends to respond well when there's kind of personal connection and motivation. And when this person is isolated, not to mention it being over the holidays, this person is at a greater risk of, of an attempt on their life. There was a previous attempt. So this was a high-risk situation. The CDC guidelines at that particular time were recommending 10-day isolation with no symptoms. We talked about this, that uh, if you don't have symptoms, you're not sick, right? There's a difference between pre-symptomatic and asymptomatic. Basically, if, you're, if you were exposed and developed COVID, you can spread the virus a couple days before you develop symptoms, but you do develop symptoms, um, the viral road begins to decrease. And then there's, uh, you know, if you do develop symptoms, you're sick, you can spread it. If you don't develop symptoms, you can't spread it. So CDC has since changed their recommendation on that and decreased the, the time of, um, of isolation and quarantine based on this data, although this data has been present for since the beginning. And we've been talking about this. And we're a healthcare center. And my recommendation was that you come in for, for a session and treatment. And this particular client called up their PCP without any context and said, I was exposed to, to COVID. How long do I have to uh, quarantine? 10 days. This person became ser seriously depressed and lashed out at me, even used words like, you know, you're spreading misinformation, you're dangerous. And, uh, you know, it was the day that that person lashed out at me that the CDC changed their guidelines back. So, so this person would not come into treatment and lashed out at me because the guilt and fear that this individual would kill somebody. She believed if she went outside of her home and came to my center that she could, she could kill someone if she spread them the virus, she would be responsible for it. And obviously, like when you're in a depressed state, you know, that fear, that fear of like harming someone else and that guilt is almost intensified. There are consequences to what our government is doing from a public health perspective, the spread of lies and how it, it creates delusional ideas or beliefs. And the only way that we're going to be able to kind of adapt and adjust to this is if we become more grounded in evidence and reality and think flexibly. I agree. Can you, uh, I'm going to ask you to said prior to all of this, prior to the pandemic, all right, when we talk about isolation, mm. and if that is one of the key components is to isolate individuals um, so that they feel as if there's no one around for them and so on. I believe, so I want you to look it up because I have the, yeah. the thing in front of me, the U.S. Surgeon General I think under Obama, perhaps it was under Trump, I can't remember, basically said before the pandemic hit that there was a loneliness epidemic. Is that true? That is correct. Um, it is the from 2014, former Surgeon General. In England, Theresa May appointed a minister of loneliness. Is that true? That is true. Her name is Tracy Crouch, the world's first loneliness minister. Um, who has, has been assigned and came after a recommendation of, uh, I guess, an investigation. And we know that events around the world, uh, although very frightening, but there's been a lot more of late in the last 20 years. And there's also been the invention of the internet, the invention of social media, which allows people to just stay at home. Um, this idea of, in, of, of isolation and 
isn't that the whole, it's almost as if it's like this perfect storm right now where this mass formation can actually. Let's go back to the four conditions. The first one is um, a large amount of people experiencing a lack of social bonds or social connectedness. So that is the most important one. Um, Be mindful, be scary, be alert to the fact if someone's telling you to remove yourself from society. There are many people right now that will go on, um, you know, Facebook and social media, even Twitter. Twitter's a big one, but yet they won't leave their homes and go outside and actually have conversations. They'll, they'll talk to you and they'll attack you on Twitter or they'll attack a Facebook post or they'll, which I mean attack, it doesn't necessarily mean attack. It could just mean challenge or they'll put their ideas out there. When you try to talk to them face to face, they want nothing to do with you. Mm. Va- vaccine passports. <laughs> So everybody has to resist this. Private businesses, community members, the individual, you have to resist any movement toward a vaccine passport. The vaccines do not protect you from developing the disease nor spreading it. Therefore, nobody who has a vaccine is safer than someone who does not have a vaccine. In fact, All available data will say those who were originally exposed to the alpha, the the original virus, develop broad-based immunity, T-cell immunity, that is protective, much greater protection to the disease than uh, the mRNA and its boosters. That is indisputable worldwide science. In fact, I think I recently saw in England that those who got the 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 immunization, quote unquote, immunization, are now at a, a negative. You are increasing the likelihood that you would could develop the new variant with greater symptoms. That is from other countries. We often have to listen to other countries because uh, the United States is is very much controlled by the pharma industry. So when you think about individualized medicine, those who got the vaccination could have worsening symptoms. They could be more susceptible. That's all possibility to the individual. Well, remember, the data modeling came from Imperial um, College in, in London, which was then applied to the United States. I, I want to play that the clip from Matthias Desmond explaining like how mass formation um, occurs. Um, and, and I think it's a good way to conclude this for people to try and determine where they believe they are in this. I'm going to play it really uh, quick. It's only going to be about a minute. Usually, when a process of mass formation emerges in a society or in a population, only 30% of the people is really hypnotized. So that's something very important because it seems there are much more, but it's not the case. There is only 30% of the people who are really hypnotized. Uh, And and, and then uh, uh, there is an additional 40% of the people who goes along with this first group because they never go against the current and they feel that they don't want to go against the current, that it is too difficult and too dangerous to go against uh, uh, the crowd. So, and then there is an additional 20 or 30% or something who is not hypnotized uh, uh, and who, uh, who wants to speak out, who wants to do something. Uh, uh, and, and, and so... I'm going to stop it there. So I think we know where you are, Roger, and you've been vocal about this from the beginning. Um, I'll put myself in the middle. Uh, I am what uh, Robert Malone called the um, the persuadable middle. Those who have been going along with this, but have continued to read what's happening, to apply more critical thought, to not accept 
everything they hear to be true, to make decisions for themselves, to pull themselves out of what has occurred over the last two years. And that's the only way we get out of these is for more information, more conversations, more dialogue to hit that persuadable middle. It's going to be very hard to persuade individuals, though, when you say persuadable middle, if they are not accepting, I mean, maybe you, maybe you are, um, but if you say persuadable middle, according to him, if 40% of individuals are afraid and they're, they're, they're already in a state of fear of going against or it's too hard to go against and be skeptical in question, we're not getting out of this. That, that's 70% of the population that is essentially believing anything that is, that is being shown to them on major media outlets uh, from their government uh, now, but which by the way, our entire society was, 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 was birthed on the fact that we were supposed to be skeptical and question government authority figures, period. For good reason. For good reason. So, Sean, I, I think there's a, there's, a, there's a historical bias that exists and you don't necessarily remember by your thoughts, your feelings, and your actions how you're, you're, you're not in the persuadable middle. I know exactly how I felt during that time. Because well, we, remember, ideas lead to actions, yep. right? You did, a healthy young man, vaccinate yourself. Mm-hmm. You know, it's still, it, it's still considered experimental, right? We all know that it's, uh, you know, it, it's an experimental vaccination that has, ex- what's that called? Experimental um, approval by the FDA? Um, emergency authorization. Yeah, mm-hmm. Emergency authorization. Um, you did take that risk. Mm-hmm believing certain things to be true and 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 factual uh-huh. based on what you were just being told by media and government uh-huh. right now you by personality you're not someone who generally questions authority to the same degree that I did and one of the things that one of the reasons why we had this podcast cuz even before the pandemic I was very much involved in understanding how the trial data in and psychiatric medications specifically antidepressants were uh were fraudulent and the entire process and how it was communicated to physicians and the general public so i was kind of primed to not trust this Mm -hmm. right and you weren't there but if we go back to spring of of 2020 um how did you think about me when i was questioning all these things you not only you but our other family members I um, silenced the tweet. (laughs) I mean, the one thing I want to point out, Roger, um, spring of 2020, that was when the lockdowns were happening before any vaccine existed. Yeah, it started, the lockdown started in March of 2020. Yep. March 13th, Friday the 13th. And they pretty much extended to very, you know, various areas around the country throughout the year until a vaccination was starting to be rolled out. Mm -hmm. And even then, a lot of these large major cities from democratic governors there was tons of restrictions mm-hmm. and limitations so the idea of a lockdown still existed well into 2021 yeah so my response here was about that time period spring of 20 when i was still in los angeles yep the uh, the conversation of text messages going around because for me i didn't want to focus my attention on that, I had my attention focused elsewhere. Um, That's, I, I found. I it, want I, you to I talk know, about. I know, but it, that actually really concerns me. 
you know, so the idea that someone can only focus their attention on one thing, you know, is always of concern. There's always an, oh, there was, hold there on, was there's one. always an excuse or a justification in American society for not being engaged. And that's when I start talking about like how distracted we are, how distracted we are as a culture. That's something that large, that important to actualize our own individual See, freedoms. Is, just let me finish okay. my point. It was so large and so important to our individual freedoms can be so easily dismissed. In fact, a lot of people told me they enjoyed the lockdowns. And that was very, very difficult for me to hear. Um, now, obviously- some, It was great for me. <laughs> well, I guess you were one of them. Yeah. Um, and th you know that was very difficult for me to hear because things that make life worth living for me personally you know, were really heavily restricted. And for my children, um, you know, my children were high school, very involved in extracurriculars. They lost out on a lot. Yep. You know, my kids will always go down as COVID kids. And we see the consequences of that now. But just, the, you know, the freedom to go out to a restaurant and get a drink. You know, the freedom to walk around. The freedom to be out in public, to go see a ball game. You know, these things that we all take for granted, you know, they were taken away from us very, very quickly, right? And we're not even talking about what could happen down the line mm -hmm. around things like an attack on our grid or our food supply. And now we're in really big trouble because people do not know how to live without these things. Um, and we're not very self-sufficient as a culture. So, um, you know, I didn't like that statement um, that you didn't focus on it because it, you know, it, it, it's a window to me to how a lot of people can just, whatever, it's outside my control. What, There's nothing I can do. What you're failing to do is recognize the own trans your own transformation that had occurred over 10 years. I mean, you worked at a psychiatric hospital. You saw things happen. You went through your own research and reading things and drawing your own conclusions. So you, you said it early in this podcast was that you were primed to not trust this. So your transformation had occurred over many years, which put you in a position to really look at this very skeptically and and be angry about it because of the things that you had seen happen over the previous you know twenty years. I don't fully buy into that, um, because but you have to recognize that a transformation occurs within a human. I had knowledge. Individual. I yeah. had knowledge that okay. other. I had knowledge that other people didn't have. I'm not denying that around pharmaceutical company corruption. In awareness. Awareness. Pharmaceutical yeah. company corruption. Yeah. However, you know, a lot of people resist these notions or these ideas if they haven't been harmed themselves. Um, and so like that mindset is, well, if you've witnessed harm or been experienced or experienced harm yourself, that's the only way you can come to a conclusion. No, and it was affecting your family because your, your, your kids. It affected lots of families. Yeah, though, Sean. but I'm, I'm using me as an example. One thing you get about me on this podcast is I unapologetically just speak how I feel, what I think. And in that moment, um, everything that was going on in my life, I, I was focused elsewhere. Yeah. Um, but you know, would say that you fit into the 70% and it's not, and, and the, the, the 40% in the middle, these, there, there's a group of people, 70% who will believe a large scale narrative that's pushed by media and government based on what Matthias Desmond said. Yeah. But that persuadable middle, is, no, you it, added persuadable middle in there. I didn't. Matthias Desmond did not. No, that was uh, Robert Malone. You said Malone. Robert Malone. That's Robert. not a Matthias Desmond thing. But I, I said Robert Malone calls it the persuasive. Yes, but middle. I'm talking, I'm referring to the clip we played uh, from Matthias Desmond, just statistically well, speaking. But well, then why wouldn't he say 70% go along? He put it into 30, 40, He's, and 30. Because the 30 and the 40% end up going along. 
you know, they end up following what that mass narrative, but they that, fall into the mass condition. But that 40% goes along with it. And then you have to ask the question, why? And if those 40% will continue to go along with it. And that answer is maybe that's the persuasion. They can too, be persu- persuaded Sean, to it's, one it's, way or it, persuaded to the other way. It's too late, right? Once no, it's not. Once you initially, it, it can no, be. No, it's not. The next time could be the, the, the last time. So listen, you... We're not talking what? about the next time. We're talking about this time. We're talking about 70% of the people are going to follow along under mass psychosis. So, uh, I, I, right? That actually correlates with how many people were vaccinated in the United States. Okay. So I'm just saying you fell into this in the 70% for whatever reason. But then I'm saying who continues to go along with the narrative? He's saying 30% will continue to stay in that um, that psychosis, that mass formation, where the other 40%, some may stay in it and some may get out, go out of it. That's the 40% in the middle. So are you saying I'm still in a mass formation psychosis? No, I'm not saying that. Okay. And I'm not saying, I don't even think 70% of people are in a mass formation psychosis. I don't think 30% still are. I think I that, see people walking around with masks. Yeah, but that's a very small percentage. That's not 30%. That's like less than 1%. I don't know. That is less than one percent. I, I mean, that is a very rare, rare event, right? And that's why. And and so, I just how saw many? It yesterday. How many people got the booster shot? You saw by the latest statistics. Yeah, this was the. Um, it was reported in Pfizer's quarterly earnings. They had an estimation of how many people would get it, and they missed their mark. And I thought I recall eight percent of people actually received the booster. Yeah, that's very small, right? So that gives us a. a a bit of an. But we're in. This is that would have been fourth quarter of 2023. But we so don't have the. It's been we, a long time. Yeah, we don't have the same free floating anxiety. No, not any longer. And that's why that doesn't apply right now. My concern is the next event of free floating anxiety of fear provocation. We will likely fall back into a 70 percent range. I, I don't know if I agree with that. I mean, I hope I'm wrong. Yeah. I really hope there, I talk about an awakening, right? Yeah. Is there awakening? And part of this podcast is to bring attention to this. Yeah. Right. And so now I'm able to go on pretty large podcasts and, and talk about antidepressants being fraudulent. Yep. That's right? a transformation. That's a, that's a transformation. I could not have done that five years ago. Yep. Right. Because people so, are now open to understanding the harms that come from an industry that they once trusted. Yep. Um, but again, we have to go back to fear provocation. So there can be another event that provokes such intense fear provocation that the free-floating anxiety leads them to attach onto uh, a person in a position of authority as the savior. Yeah. And that's what I'm concerned about. Okay. And I do have some critical questions around that, but you might want to just continue. Yeah, playing. that's reasonable. Found it, I found it distracting, and I found a lot of information that was being shared on both sides was not accurate. Well, you went to one side in your, you know, when, if you say there's both sides, my side was that, you know, this virus um, is going to, is, is dangerous to a small subset of, of people. Mm-hmm. You're not in that risk category. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't need a, a vaccination because of, of, of the risk that it, that it carries. You're going to be able to fight this off. Okay. Now you're, you're talking about spring of 21, but your question was spring of 20. So just putting that into perspective here. It's not going to have an impact on you. Develop natural immunity to it. We don't know if this actually is a vaccine. Um, 
all the measures and all the steps and the information from masks and other public health recommendations don't make logical or reasonable sense based on these things. And whether it was you wait, wait, or the, my sister or the our, vaccine our didn't come out until like a year later. No, it was the development of the vaccine okay. and, 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 you know, the process of vaccine, um, of vaccine trials mm. and uh, the lockdowns and all the from other the measures. From the get-go, though, from the get-go, even with this was under Trump. So we, became, we can't forget that this is not a difference, in my opinion, of administrations. When people be very clear, in that, and, I, and I argue this point, they go, well, so you liked Donald Trump, you, did, you know, all that. That's mm. not true. Here's the deal. Remember, the same messaging was coming out of his administration. The only solution to this entire pandemic was going to be what? vaccines mm -hmm. i don't think that's accurate it is accurate no, well no, he that, did okay he did have some no, therapeutics did, no hold on a second um at that time it was not the administration's viewpoint that lockdowns uh oh, as no, a public but, uh, as a public vaccines. health measure and it wasn't their viewpoint that vaccinations was the only path to getting out of the pandemic yeah, the, 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 um, there were they were they were in support of therapeutic development and investigation and that. It became a red versus blue. Well, the well, national government took the stance that they should is that it's the individual states um, to determine what is appropriate. So for it became a, we are the it, United it, States. It became yeah. a red versus blue. If you're in a blue state, it, right? It, we have a tendency be, to to migrate that way. Yep. Yes. If you were in a blue state, it was heavy government control yes right on the the rights of the individual lock down your business close down your school all these things while if you were in a red state you know it was more about respecting the rights of the the individual for right? those and not familiar with red and make, blue blue is democrats here in the united states red is republic very split right yes. we're really yeah. divided the truth of the matter though though is there is a persuadable middle that exists in uh in politics and i think that's I, that's where I fall. I think that's generally where Sean falls. I don't like to go onto the extremes of any political spectrum. I've got problems with both, but some of the foundational aspects of what I believe in are about individual rights because history will inform us that uh, we are at risk for giving up our rights to the power and control of others. And we saw that in this country for the first time in a long time when we gave up our rights for our kids to go to school, although there wasn't any scientific evidence or data to support that that's going to protect them and others from a virus. So we gave up the rights of our kids. Uh, that What that came with was, was sports was removed and extracurricular activities. We saw a spike in mental health problems. We see a spike in deaths related to the, the secondary effect of the pandemic, which is the social isolation. All those things I was arguing vehemently against, and I got a... Uh, a negative reaction and response from from family members because they just 100% trusted what the authority was telling them to do. And the way out of this is you have to be able to investigate and make decisions for yourself and for your family in the best interest of yourself and family. But that's what they believe they were doing. So when you say that, the family members, because I have the same problem. My Some of my family, maybe not, but some people were saying things like, those who are not vaccinated should die. Maybe they should. There were these horrible things that people were saying. Friends, teachers. See, that's where, teachers that's where we've saying, gone wrong. In yeah. New York City, way back when um, those mandates, the vaccination, vaccination mandates, we've had people, I've had teachers, I've overheard them say, "Good, it's good that they're going to lose their job. Think about how aggressive and, and honestly idiotic that is. If you're wishing ill will 
toward another human being or death because you have some sort of irrational belief that a vaccine is the only solution to this, that's a mass problem for formation me. psychosis. But there's been a marketing and, and mass conditioning campaign to say that somebody who, who has that idea, the one that you just stated, is that you're the ill-informed. You don't trust science. But, but my point is with your family. You're unscientific. With your family. They believe that they're well-informed. I, listen, my family is docile and obedient, right? And, you know, Sean is sitting in front of me and there's, you know, he's, he's docile, he's, obe- he's obedient, and he's passive, right? And, and so the consequences of this are you're going to be a rule follower and you're going to believe the rules are there to protect you. So you identify yourself as the persuadable middle. But to me that there are, there's a group of people who are just more docile, passive, and obedient so they're going to follow the rules. How do you justify viewing yourself as the persuadable middle when you just went along with the narrative? So, um, yeah, let me jump in here. So obviously I have a problem with the bystander in society. Yeah. One of the reasons why I believe harm is created is not necessarily by the, the, the one who is in the position of authority. It's those who are around the person of, of authority and allow it to happen, know it, see it, and allow it to happen. That witnessing it unfolding and do nothing. Mm-hmm. Okay. Back to the ordinary men. Instead of being a whistleblower or whatever. Right. Yeah. I, th- I believe for us to transform as a, as a culture, we have to display courage and we have to speak out against harm and injustice. And we have to be unwilling to go along uh, with, the, with the person's, whether it's a, a medical intervention or or an idea, we have to resist. When it's morally and ethically wrong. Right. Yep. And what, I'm, what this research demonstrates, what mass formation psychosis demonstrates is that most people would be unwilling to do that out of self-preservation, out of their own fear. And that's what scares me. Mm-hmm. And I think we have to evolve out of courage, out of love. Um, you know, I've been talking recently more about the illusion of separation, right? And of course, this is the spiritual aspect about me, that we are not separated. We are brothers. We are sisters. But if the, if the West has continues to further their detachment from God and spirituality, we are creating a greater vulnerability for mass formation psychosis because it is natural for human beings to seek out a God, to seek out somebody to guide them, to guide us. And that unfortunately puts us vulnerable to the transhumanist. It puts us vulnerable to the person who believes in a depopulation movement, in eugenics. We don't have to go far back in history to, to examine what happened in Nazi Germany leading up to the rise of Adolf Hitler. Lots of bystanders in that culture. We have to know how they got there, mm-hmm. how they thought, mm-hmm. right? Because all those people, a lot of those people believed they may have been doing the right thing. Yeah. I would say because of the transition I've gone through over the last, which is now 18 months, two years, um, to be honest with you, during, during the period where you were sharing a lot of information with the family, you got to remember who it's coming from. It's coming from a sibling, um, and the way that maybe it's being communicated uh, can be interpreted through a text message as as an attack that 
you don't, you're not doing the work, you're not researching enough, you don't understand what's happening. So immediately, sometimes those things can, can be shut down. And to be honest with you, early on, uh, I, I wasn't focusing my attention on solutions around this thing. It was like literally thinking that it was going to be gone in two or three months. My At the time, and I've shared in a previous podcast, you know, my wife was pregnant. I wasn't really paying attention to the news. I shut it off after a while. The only information that was being, you know, bouncing back and forth was between you and, and our, our younger sister. And, um, and, I, and I really shut a lot of it out. And, and when I came and made the decision that I wanted to move back to the East Coast, that's when the vaccine came out. And I thought this thing had gone on far too long. And I did believe it was the solution. And clearly it was not. Um, and when I say the persuadable middle, I think the persuadable middle are the people um, like myself right now that are still engaged in the conversation, not accepting everything to be true. And I honestly, I think this is just a byproduct of where I am right now working with you and these conversations being thrown at me. Had I not been here, had I not been working with you, had we not been doing this podcast, I believe I would still be in that same boat of not really paying attention, not following the news, not following the data, not really following the information. I don't think I would have listened to uh, dissenting points of views that are being shared. And I don't think I've been looking at the uh, what they're, they keep calling the waning e- efficacy of the uh, vaccines. And when I say persuadable middle, I made a decision not to get that booster shot. That was me. I had um, gone along with what was communicated early on. Um, I'm not interested in a subscription to pharma where I'm going to keep getting a shot for as long as this virus is around, which it's going to be around probably for a long time. Uh, I'd much rather start building my own personal immunity by being exposed like most things in life, um, because right now that's showing uh, your best protection against the virus. So when I say persuadable middle, um, my uh, my trust has been broken um, and critical thought was not applied early on and it's being more applied now. And I think there's a lot of people that fall into that same boat as me um, that are now saying, you know what? I, I went along with what you said the first time it's, this is still going on, and now you're telling me I need to keep doing this? No, I'm not participating anymore. I'm saying this to get a response from you. Sean. Yeah, I know. I, <laughs> and I love playing this role in these discussions because, um, yeah, we have to go to extremes in order to understand things. Um, we've been talking about this a long time. I, I want to end this on a quote, um, and this is Matthias Desmond, and this is speaking specifically about mass formation, because I want to bring it back to that, because that's our topic for today. This is his quote. I wrote it down. um, It was in another podcast that he was participating in. The important thing is that when people start to participate altogether in the strategy to deal with the object of anxiety, a new social bond, a new sense of meaning-making emerges. A new solidarity emerges. People switch from a highly aversive negative mental state to the extreme high level of connectedness, a kind of mental intoxication of connectedness, which is the real why, re, real reason why people continue to buy into the narrative, even when it is absurd or blatantly wrong, end quote. That is what's happening here. 
That is why our society is broken. That is why we're arguing about these things. We're no longer, no longer having conversations with an open heart and an open mind and exchanging dialogue, trying to apply critical thought to everything we make. We're attacking one another. And I think that is something that needs to be solved. So you say that we no longer, as if once we did. You know, history informs us that we haven't ever. I, th- I think there's waves. I, I do. I think that we go through periods of recognizing fault, recognizing error, and we, um, uh, what's that? The pendulum swings. I do believe the pendulum swings. I think that's a, a relative privileged idea of being, <laughs> of, of being you know, born into a, a certain socioeconomic class in the richest country in the world yeah. during a period of 1970. Yeah, but we're talking about history. 1970. 1978 through, you know, 2018, while same at, at that same time, you know, that we were living in a, in a, in a relatively, in a privileged society in the United States, the richest country in the world, there were people suffering mm-hmm. all around the world. Uh, and who were, what were the lay, the seeds that are being planted now in our society were, you know, planted in other societies at, at various other times and, you know, led to, you know, famine and poverty and war. Now I'm going to attack you for that. Because it's like when you're having a discussion about how to pull somebody out of a mass formation psychosis and like having conversation, you immediately go to the worst scenarios that are always going to be occurring in the world. I would say that's the one thing where you've evolved over the last two years is the way that you communicate and how you're communicating from a place that is uh, much more coming from a position of love than from a position of your frustration and an angry mind uh, that you possibly brought into some of these earlier podcasts. Do you want to f- defend yourself? I don't want to defend myself, but I, I want to just say that that statement is accurate. Yeah. And that's just, it doesn't just reflect you. It reflects all of us, myself included. Mm-hmm. It is to, to be able to, to believe what you just said in that, on that clip. That a pen- pendulum swings, that people like an awareness occurs. And once people are, are lied to or harmed, you don't believe that they become more conscious and more critical? Unfortunately, I feel like history repeats itself and we haven't, we have not yet evolved yet to that point. I mean, I want to, I want to be able to say as a, as a global culture that we could eradicate war. We could eradicate, uh, you know, tyrannical, government systems that harm their own people, that kill their own people. I wish we could be in a, in a culture that where those who are in positions of power and authority aren't purposely dividing their own people for their own political or personal gain. I do believe we start wars for financial purposes, right? If you're, if you're in the global um, warfare industrial complex, right? And, and you you benefit from a from a war, we shouldn't be surprised when war is created. When you're in the pharmaceutical industry and you financially benefit from disease, we shouldn't be surprised when there's disease mongering or even a bioweapon is released. I, I just can't ignore, you know, the facts that exist out here. When, like, why does gain-of-function research even exist? Yeah, but I'm talking about the, when it's, mass formation psychosis we you have got- a, a mass group of people that are the bystanders and whether or not they choose to bystand reject or accept 
the information that's being provided. I think there's always going to be corrupt or certain individuals that are, you know, putting their thumbprint onto the world in a negative way. I th- always? I, I think What's I, always? For existence and from here on out. There's going to be somebody who tries to declare war, somebody who tries to, you know, take advantage of, um, you know, the weakness or illness of others. I hope not. Um, you know, how do we evolve? And, you know, if, if, an, every, if every behavior starts with an idea, mm-hmm. then we are actually manifesting into physical reality, um, a new world, always. It's an expansion of consciousness. So when we hold on to the idea that there will always be war, there will always be war. When we collectively decide that there is no, that there is no separation, that to harm another is to harm ourselves, when we have high morality, spirituality, connection to something bigger, then that can never be collectively manifested into that culture. Yeah, but you need to reality check every once in a while. So my point <laughs> was right now we haven't evolved to that yet. Okay. Right? And so we are still susceptible and vulnerable to mass formation psychosis. We were in one at that time. We still see the vulnerability around day-to-day, like mask wearing, for example, mm-hmm. virtue signaling, um, how easily we can be manipulated by someone who has a, a benefit to manipulate us and how vulnerable we are to attach to those ideas. I mean, we're still prescribing antidepressants at, uh, at rates that have exceeded the year before, right? So I, I just, the pendulum has not swung. Um, there is an awakening, I do believe so. But I think when we look back, I, you know, I look back at my statements two years ago or what I believed in spring of 2020, it held out to be true, unfortunately. Um, and just as bad, if not worse, than what I imagined. You kind of hope there's not some global conspiracy and alignment with major governments and tech agencies to influence how we all think. We would hope or believe that somebody doesn't directly do something that they know is harmful and get on a microphone and be a leader of a public health agency and one of the, the largest or the most influential government in the world. And you, you want to believe that they didn't do that purposefully knowing it was going to create harm, but they did. And it's clear now, you know, it's absolutely clear now. And we still don't know what to do about it. Still, most people will just shrug their shoulders, go to work the next day, get home, make dinner, watch Netflix, go to sleep, start up, do it again. And people are now so, I don't, what's the, desensitized. I think people are so desensitized to it. It's shut off the news, shut off the mainstream media, and kind of just come to the conclusion, well, there's not much I can do. Well, if you can't believe or trust the news, why watch it? Yeah. Um, or even think critically about a lot of things, right? Like it's just giving up. Most people aren't even going to participate in our um, in our elections, right? When you just look at the data, was it 30 to 40% of people are going to actually vote who are eligible? It's sad. I mean, there's just so much about what a constitutional republic, what our founding fathers initially envisioned has been just completely violated. And we've given up. 
um, just absolutely given up. We can conclude on these final thoughts because we introduced this in, to um, our podcast with Ben Rawl. Mm-hmm. I continue to hear the same question being asked to Republican presidential candidates from mainstream media outlets like the Washington Post, for example. Do you denounce white supremacy and white nationalism? Most people do not know that that's that's purposeful. Through classical conditioning, they are pairing something that is neutral with something that is dangerous. Okay. Okay. White, a skin color that you have no control over what skin color that you're born into. Yep. Right. Um, Supremacy. White supremacy with white nationalism. White both ways. But what is white nationalism? White nationalism would have been anyone, anyone in our country right now who is Caucasian and believes in sovereignty or believes in the, in the Constitution. Yeah. And they're pairing it with white supremacy. Most people are missing it. Most people are missing it. And our politicians have to answer the question. And it's purposeful because they know. Are there any politicians that separate the two? Vivek Ramaswamy, Ramaswamy yeah. just did yesterday, which kind of brought me. Was it the first time he was asked the question? Yeah. Uh, no, no, they're all being asked it. And they're answering it in their own politician <laughs> quite, you know, ways, but they don't understand what is actually being hap- what, okay. what's happening. Mm. And it's the same thing when your FBI is identifying white nationalism to be the highest domestic threat to te- uh, terrorism domestically, right? So that means anyone who opposes your government now is a terrorist threat. When our founding fathers informed us that you would have to oppose your government if they no longer acted for the people and violated the Constitution. So it's, it's just, this is Germany 1925, 1930, post-World War I. It's the propaganda conditioning period pre-war people don't understand that when wars are waged on societies there is a large-scale propaganda war that occurs before the actual fighting most people aren't aware of history or how it's done we're actually in it we're sitting in it right now we're participating in it having this conversation is participating in it you go on social media you observe it you listen to the questions the mainstream media is asking. They're participating in it. They're doing it to us. And if we are passive and we are just obedient, we are absorbing these messages into truth. The reason why people wear masks is because they believe they're doing something to save somebody else, even though it is useless. It is absolutely useless. Or to protect themselves. Protect themselves, protect others. Most people do it because they think they're, they're sick. They think they're catching something because right? we see it in our, in our healthcare centers or our centers. And I'm wearing this to protect you from me. It's a delusion. But they still do it because truth doesn't matter. And when truth doesn't matter, we are in trouble. And when you have an entire generations who brought up into the American public school system and were never taught critical thinking, and instead were rewarded for obedience and rote memorization, you see how many generations this conditioning process has taken place over. 
to put us in this vulnerable position. Mm-hmm. And then my final point is just go to the World Economic Forum's website. They're telling you what they are going to do. They're telling you what their agenda is. They're telling you what the purpose is. I've spoken to too many people who have guaranteed me that we will have a cyber attack on the American grid, our electrical grid. Do we deny that? No, I think everything is in preparation, assuming that that's going to happen, either through another government or um, people acting independently, especially when it comes to technology continuing to expand. It could be done today. It could. But when they tell you it's going to happen, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. Yes. Prepare for it. And how do you prepare for it? Um, well, there's, there's many ways, but you as an individual, there's only one way to, to do that is you have your, your home protected in a way that you can continually support yourself. Should Most people that, can't should do that, that. Grid go down. The statistics around that are frightening. Like what would actually happen if there's an attack on our electrical grid? How many people will die? Yeah. And how it disrupts the entire system. It's fear. But yet we are investing money in wars across the globe, not domestically, not to protect us, not to protect our people, right? And these are facts. This isn't fear talking. This is just reality. This is fear talking. There's a reason we're not investing in upgrading our grid. Instead, we're investing in Ukraine or we're investing in other areas. And there's a reason why our borders are wide open. And there's a reason why they're identifying white nationalism and pairing it with white supremacy. Deductive reasoning. You can utilize deductive reasoning right now. There's always a mass formation psychosis. There is one happening right now. You're just in it. We're just in it. Okay? It's not like, oh, well, this is a unique situation that just happened with free-floating anxiety in 2020. Now we have free floating anxiety about a lot of things. We're under a mental health crisis. Everyone's going to the doctors because of their anxiety. When are we going to wake up? What do we need to do to wake up? And if we can truly evolve, why aren't we doing it now? How about now? What does an awakening actually mean? It's taking some of our power back. Right? If we have become awakened to the corruption and mass manip- manipulation within our medical so- culture, our medical societies, well, then it's returning to our own personal freedoms there. That's where we resist. Little small things in our community. We have to begin to engage back into the process with your doctors, with your school boards, with your teachers. It's really really important. Listening to a podcast may be therapeutic, but it is not therapy. Always seek the advice of your mental health professional. If you are in a crisis or you think you have an emergency, call your doctor or 911. If you're considering suicide, call 1-800-273-TALK to speak with a skilled, trained counselor. If you found this podcast interesting, please share it with a friend, subscribe through your podcast app, 
and engage with us through our social channels. And if you are concerned about a friend or family member, reach out. The six magic words, I was just thinking about you, may make their day. Thank you for listening.